from Hollywood, I'm Martin Grove, welcoming you to our Screen Dollars podcast, Box Office Autopsy. In today's conversation, we'll look at the marketplace and analyze how things are going and where they're going. Joining me on the line now is Screen Dollars box office guru, Dick Walsh. Between Dick's career in exhibition, including as film chairman of AMC Entertainment, and my own days talking about movies on CNN, Entertainment Tonight, and as a Hollywood Reporter columnist, we've logged nearly a hundred years in Hollywood. That doesn't mean we're always right, but we've definitely got a few opinions to share. Another October overperforming weekend, and Dune is in a high orbit, $40.1 million. Not bad for a uh, end of October weekend. No, it's the fourth consecutive weekend where we've had a $40 million picture open, and the momentum that was uh, started in early October on October 1 continues throughout the rest of the month. And this picture has opened a lot better than the Hollywood handicappers and exhibitors alike were expecting. Uh, this picture was being talked about for 35 to 37 million by exhibitors. The media was even more conservative, 30 to 35 million. Those were the early media estimates. And uh, suddenly, uh, 40 million plus. Uh, and also, let's remember, this is a picture that has HBO Max competing with it, free. You can see it for nothing at home on HBO Max, uh, assuming that you are a subscriber or have activated your HBO subscription. So uh, this is a very good business. Yeah, I would have, I would have had it uh, do even more had it not had the HBO Max uh, attached to it. I think that people saw the uh, marketing campaign, which was excellent, and decided uh, I, I need to see this big screen presentation in a movie theater. Well, you know, a lot of uh, speculation already, and, and that's like, like right after the numbers came out, the speculation is that this movie might have opened to 90 to $100 million if it were not competing with itself on HBO Max, meaning that maybe $50, $55 million was kind of left on the table. Do you, do you think that's a possibility? It's a possibility. It seems a little high, but uh, there that could be the case. I, I also think that when it was day and date with television, people said, well, is this the big is this the big event picture that I got to go see? I can see it on my home television. Ah, so, what a difference! What a difference! But you know, let's listen for a minute to a film scene uh, from Dune. This is a fight. Now, it's not a real fight. It's Timothée Chalamet and Josh Brolin. And uh, Chalamet says he's not really in the mood to practice his fighting. And Brolin tells him, you don't have to be in the mood, you just got to do it when you got to fight. So uh, let's listen and then we'll talk about it on the other side. 
I guess I'm not in the mood today. Mood? Yeah. What's mood to do with it? You fight when the necessity arises, no matter the mood. Now fight! See you found the mood. Timothy Chalamet and Josh Brolin practice fighting in Dune. Now, the success of this picture, $40.1 million opening, is the biggest hybrid opening, meaning a theatrical and a streaming uh, simultaneous uh, launch, since Warner for Warner Brothers, since Godzilla vs. Kong, which did thirty one point six million the end of March. And that certainly has to make the guys at Warner Brothers feel good about this. Right. But as you pointed out earlier, could it have done more Venom without going on a streaming uh, platform? Uh, does seventy million. Shang Chi not going on a streaming platform does a hundred million in four days. So the questions will continue to linger. Is HBO additive or subtractive from a movie theater's growth? Well, you know, uh, I'm with you. I I would like to see no day-and-date streaming ever again, and I hope we're heading in that direction. I mean, it kind of looks like we are. But but the reality is that uh, Warner Brothers said every one of our pictures will go uh, day and date through the end of 2021. Now, in 2022, they have a 45-day window, which exhibitors uh, certainly are going to be a lot happier about. This this movie, by the way, did well with critics. It was 83% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and audiences uh, liked it even more. The Rotten Tomatoes audience score was 91%. It's also playing very well in international uh, territories. It's in 76 markets overseas. The overseas cum is 181 million, just just about, and the worldwide cum is almost 221 million. So uh, I think you know Warner's is going to see some some good numbers from this. Yes, but will they regret having come out in March saying every one of their pictures will play on HBO Max day and date for the remainder of the year? Did they make that statement too early in the year? Uh, my answer to you is yes, I think they did. And, uh, I mean, look, they're never going to acknowledge it, but uh, I think that they understand that they screwed up. But, uh, but look... The, the other uh, element here to consider is this movie, which uh, Legendary Entertainment basically bankrolled, or most of it as I understand it, reportedly cost $165 million to make. Uh, and that doesn't, of course, count the marketing, which is uh, probably, uh, you know, another $100 million. Uh, it could be more. Who knows? Uh, but uh, they, they are looking at how to recoup that investment and I really think that the HBO Max uh, streaming uh, makes it much less likely that they will because, you know, uh, and we, we never really get to explore this, so maybe it's good to touch on it now. When you put a pristine print of a movie in the marketplace on day one theatrically, 
the piracy that that makes possible uh, comes home to uh, bite you. And, and this may, again, be the case where theatrical exhibition will win out, uh, as that is one of the arguments against uh, putting it out there on a streaming service. Well, we have now made the case, I think, strongly for not doing day-and-date streaming. So let's move on to another movie, uh, which is not day-and-date streaming, but that didn't help it either, did it anyway? Uh, and that is from Disney and 20th Century Studios. It's the PG animated comedy adventure, Ron's Gone Wrong. Well, the title says it. It's, uh, it's gone wrong at the box office. $7.3 million. It opened in fifth place. Exhibitors thought maybe 7 to $9 million. The media was saying that there were hopes for $10 million. Now, That wouldn't have been good either, but that's what they were talking about. And it's a cute movie, and the people who made it worked very hard to uh, come up with something that they thought would be good. I have a clip for us to listen to from uh, Kylie Cantrell, who voices a character in the film called Savannah Mead, and she talks about the work that went into uh, doing that. Let's, uh, let's listen now. So my character is Savannah Meads, and, you know, she's the popular girl in school. She just, from the outside, seems like she just has it all together and has this perfect life. But really, you know, she's just a young girl trying to figure it all out. And I think it's cool seeing her progress throughout this film and really figure out the true meaning of friendship and that it's not all just about social media. That was Kylie Cantrell talking about voicing the character Savannah Mead in Ron's Gone Wrong. Now... It's interesting to try to figure out what did go wrong with the movie. Uh, first of all, we can't blame the critics because it's 81% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. We can't blame audiences for bad word of mouth because the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 96%. I think maybe uh, what they needed were moms with kids who didn't come. Exactly right, and uh, cause for concern here is animated appears to be one of the last genres coming back uh, in the pandemic, and as you know, in any given year, animated can account for up to 20% of total box office. So, you know, while we're talking animated, since this is from uh, uh, Disney, uh, it's worth pointing out Disney did not make this movie. Uh, 20th Century Fox, now gone, absorbed by Disney, Fox was the studio that made it, and Disney, of course, inherited it when they acquired Fox, and the 20th century label survives as a Disney label right, right now. Now, another Disney label, which is thriving, is Searchlight Pictures, which used to be Fox Searchlight Pictures. They acquired that at Disney as part of the uh, overall acquisition of 20th century Fox, they have revived single-handedly the art house business this weekend by opening the movie The French Dispatch. It opened number nine. Now, normally we would say, well, opening number nine, that's, that's nothing to shout about. But it was only playing at 52 theaters, and it did a million three. And uh, if you take your calculator out, well, you don't have to because I did it already. It's $25,000 per theater. Not, not bad. Let's, uh, let's listen to a uh, soundbite here from the uh, French Dispatch, and then we'll come back and we'll figure out why it's doing so well. It began as a holiday. 
Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. That's a scene from the French Dispatch, and this is a movie the critics liked, but they didn't love. It's 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, you know, not bad, but, but not raves. Audiences, however, loved it, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's a shot in the arm for specialty cinemas. As you know, Dick, they appeal mostly to an older audience, an adult audience, which, uh, you know, uh, we've been reading in the media, oh, they won't risk going to theaters, it's way too dangerous, they're never going to do it. Well, it looks like maybe they go when something is playing that they want to see. Yeah, uh, Wes Anderson, uh, as you know, uh, is uh, attached to this picture, and it has his typical cast, Bill Murray, Timothy Chalamet, Francis McDormand. So you had, you had a pedigree here where you release the picture in major markets at big theaters, and you throw a very nice, healthy gross, and guess what? It only grows from here. Well, that's right, and and Searchlight, which is you know really uh, an expert when it comes to uh, winning Oscars, uh, they of course had last year's uh, Best Picture and Best Director uh, winning film, Nomadland. Uh, they launched the uh, French Dispatch. They premiered it at Cannes uh, uh, earlier this year. Uh, and then they went on to play at the London Film Festival. They played at Telluride. They were in the New York Film Festival. In fact, they were in roughly 25 film festivals overall, getting this picture exposed to the audience that starts the early Oscar conversation. So you can look for the French Dispatch to get into the Oscar race. Certainly Wes Anderson as a director has a very good shot at uh, uh, at being in the uh, Oscar uh, competition, and the fact that it's opened so well in theaters, uh, that, that's something that the Oscar voters always like. They like to see that people are voting for these films, not only uh, uh, in the sense of wanting them to win, but that they're willing to spend money to see them. And once again, we can say the French Dispatch benefited from not streaming day and date. Absolutely, and you've got a situation now where this picture will get up to 750, 1,000, 1,500 screens around Thanksgiving weekend, and what a great time to be on screen. Well, exactly. It's a time when uh, adults do venture out. Uh, they do want some holiday entertainment. Uh, many people are not looking for a horror film, not looking for a Marvel film, but for something a little bit, uh, you know, more adult, and wow, here it is. However, there are some other uh, films upcoming that could appeal to adults. One of them is opening next weekend, and that's coming from Focus Features, which of course is part of uh, Universal, 
Uh, and that is an R-rated horror mystery called Last Night in Soho. It's uh, set in 1960s London. It's going into about 2,800 theaters. The director, Edgar Wright, is best known for a horror film some years ago called Shaun of the Dead. But this picture, Last Night in Soho, is being talked about as a possible awards contender, and in particular for Edgar Wright uh, as a director, and also for the two women who co-star in the movie, Anna Anya Taylor-Joy, and Thomas and Mackenzie. And their roles are intertwined as this story unfolds. Uh, let's listen briefly to a, a scene from last night in Soho, and then we can focus a little more on it. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. They're not just dreams. I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? It really happened. What did you see? Do you believe in ghosts? I want to report a murder. You witnessed the murder last night, but you believe this was a vision from the past. Last night in Soho. It's a horror film, but not a horror horror film. It's a horror mystery, which gives it something special. And, and Dick, the specialty market, uh, I mean, the fact that the French Dispatch has been able to uh, get it uh, revitalized and, and started again, uh, perhaps we'll see more action on the art house front now. Yeah, I think, I think it's the time of year where these pictures begin to work. Uh, I think last night in Soho will be uh, a crowd pleaser and um, should deliver a, a fairly good gross in the mid-teens next weekend. And I think this one will hold in there, again, being on screen for that valuable Thanksgiving weekend. Yes, holiday playing time is always uh, nice to have. Now, another uh, film that is coming up, another horror film, I should say, and it's coming from Searchlight. That's the same studio that just gave us the French Dispatch. Uh, they have the horror film Antlers coming uh, next weekend uh, at about 2,700 theaters. It's a horror mystery also, but I think it's a more basic horror mystery than, uh, than Last Night in Soho is uh, the critics uh, gave it an okay 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, and uh, in Searchlight's hands, it's being well-marketed, even though Searchlight is, you know, is mainly known for arthouse product and Oscar contenders and Oscar winners. Uh, they also sometimes do uh, horror films. They did uh, the uh, movie The Night House uh, last August, uh, uh, did about $7.1 million, not a... Not a huge success. Uh, uh, who knows how they'll do with this one? But you know, but uh, we will talk about it next next week. And 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 just as we as we wrap up the current weekend, uh, we see you know the holiday season is coming. We have a lot of strong films uh, that that will be playing. As you just mentioned, you know, holiday playing time is is certainly uh, you know extremely uh, valuable. So. Uh, We'll see, you know, we'll see uh, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story coming uh, to theaters uh, as the uh, month of December gets underway. That's December 10th, actually. 
so we'll see that. Uh, we, uh, we have for the Marvel fans, Sony and Marvel's Spider-Man No Way Home coming December 17th. Uh, already that's a strong month, and uh, uh, you know I think we're going to be looking at a very good holiday season and uh, a healthy uh, Hollywood, a healthy exhibition, and going into the new year, I think maybe uh, you know a very good year ahead. We'll certainly focus on it uh, in the coming weeks. So look, let's meet again here next weekend at Doc's Office Autopsy. Uh, Dick, I will see you then. Bye-bye. Time now for our film flashback look at what was happening in Hollywood right around now, way back then. Let's set today's time travel dial for October 25th, 1978. John Carpenter's Halloween, which opened October 25th, 1978, unleashed Michael Myers on the teens of Haddonfield, Illinois, for decades to come and wound up making a bloody fortune at the box office. Actually, there was no such city. Carpenter named it for Haddonfield, New Jersey, his producer, co-screenwriter, and then-girlfriend Deborah Hill's hometown. According to Hill, Carpenter named Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode, after his first girlfriend. Michael Myers' name came from a British producer who'd gotten Carpenter's 1976 action thriller Assault on Precinct 13 into some European film festivals. Producer Erwin Yablons and financier Mustafa Akkad saw Assault at the Milan Film Festival and asked Carpenter to direct a movie for them about a psychotic killer stalking babysitters. Yablonz's goal was to do a movie with the same impact William Friedkin's 1973 blockbuster The Exorcist had. Carpenter signed on after being assured he'd have complete creative control. The deal brought him $10,000 for writing, directing, and scoring the film. Hill agreed to work for just a percentage of the profits, a smart choice, since Halloween grossed $70 million worldwide and cost only $325,000 to make on a 20-day shooting schedule. Carpenter and Hill called their story The Babysitter Murders. Fortunately, Yablon suggested a few marketing-driven changes, like having it take place Halloween night, and calling it Halloween. Carpenter later explained that Halloween was a fresh movie theme and he wanted to make a haunted house film. He was a fan of a 1974 Canadian horror film, Black Christmas, about an unseen killer targeting sorority house girls. Carpenter asked Clark about developing his slasher killer for a Black Christmas sequel, but Clark wanted to stop making horror films. When Carpenter asked what he'd do if he did create a sequel, Clark shared some ideas, including having the killer escape a year later from a mental institution and calling the film Halloween. 
Clark, who went on to make the 1981 hit comedy Porky's, had no problem with Carpenter doing Halloween, and later told interviewers he knew many people were talking then about doing Halloween projects. Halloween became the top-grossing independent movie ever made at the time. The franchise's first 11 titles grossed nearly $470 million domestically, according to Comscore. A twelfth title, Halloween Kills, just opened to over $50 million. And a thirteenth episode, Halloween Ends, is set to open next October 14th. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another box office autopsy next week. In Hollywood for Screen Dollars, I'm Martin Grove.